Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys pretty much have this story down, right? I mean, even if you don't have the whole second chapter of the Gospel of Luke memorized like Linus, chances are you're fairly familiar with this story and can pretty much tell how it goes. Probably most of you have something like this in your house, probably not quite this large, maybe a little more of that scale over there, but you know, how many of you have a a nativity of some kind in your house, right? Up on the mantle or the bookshelf, a a nice sort of package deal of, of the characters of the story of Christmas. And nativity sets come in all shapes and sizes. There are different characters sometimes added in. Uh, We have one at home that has a little girl holding a a plate of Swedish meatballs. Like you do, right? You know, but basically you got your core cast of characters there. and, And however they might vary, what is consistent across the board, and I don't think I've ever seen a nativity set in which this was not the case, is the setting. That is to say, where was Jesus born? Right? Where does this cast of characters gather? Where is it? A stable, a barn, right? And we know that because there was a manger, and theoretically that's where animals ate, and so if there's animals, they must be in a barn, right? That's where animals hang out. Now, in many depictions of the nativity, the barn might be out in the back of of the inn where there was no room. Or or maybe in some pictures I've seen, it's way out in a field, like outside of city limits. And the, the sort of skyline of Bethlehem is placid in the background. Now, there's a lot of power in that way of hearing this story. After all, there's this shuddering irony of a God who longs desperately to be a part of the world, wants to be born into the midst of our lives, and yet when the time comes for this Christ child to be born, nobody can recognize him. No one's quite ready. Not room, not time, yet. And so the holiest of all families ends up camping out back in a barn, left out, left aside. Millions of sermons can be preached on this material, right? Of what it means for God to want to be a part of your life and not quite be ready to recognize that. Or Christ showing up in the face of a stranger, and we just don't like strangers. There's any number of ways in which that story plays its way out, in powerful ways. And yet, you all just heard this story, and you have it written down in front of you in your bulletin, So, who here can tell me where in the Gospel of Luke do you find a barn? There isn't one. There is no barn in the Gospel of Luke. We assume there's a barn because there's this thing that might be a place where animals eat, although, interestingly enough, there's no animals in the story either except for the sheep out in the fields. There is no barn. We've just sort of supplied the barn, assumed that it was there, because that's how we deal with our animals. But the reality is, biblical scholars and archaeologists would tell us that in Bethlehem there were no barns. Now, this might seem like a 
kind of Bible nerd detail that only people like me would care about. And so hang with me for a few moments, and I'll invite you perhaps deeper into the story. I mean, what difference does it make if Jesus was born in a barn or somewhere else? But archaeologists tell us that in Bethlehem there were no barns. Because real estate was scarce and very expensive, and it was absurd to build a separate house for animals to live in. No one did that. If you were lucky enough to have animals, and most people had at least a goat, it stayed with you in the house. Now, the architecture of first century Palestinian homes was fairly consistent. Everybody had one big common room, right? The common, it's like an open concept, if you will, for those of you who you know, know architecture, right? A family room, the place where meals were cooked, meals were shared, stories were told, games were played, guests were entertained, children fought and played, adults argued and loved. The place where life happens, right? That place in your home where everything is happening, And it was there in that family room, the common room, where the animals slept. Because you didn't keep the animals outside. They were liable to walk away or maybe be stolen. And so they slept inside. And they slept in mangers. And, and, And what that actually meant was not this little wooden box, but it was a little hole dug into the dirt floor of the home, filled with straw. If you will, a kind of primitive version of the, like, you know, beanbag thing that your puppy sleeps on at night in the corner, right? That's a manger, right there in the common room where the meals were shared. Now, if you were lucky enough or had a a bit more means, you might have a separate space for sleeping, a kind of a bedroom. Not very private. Privacy was pretty rare in those days, but a little bit separate. But every home, for sure, because so central to their identity, their faith, and their culture was hospitality. Every house had a place for guests. Maybe an extra room. Maybe a carved out, dedicated space up on the roof. But somehow, every home had a place where visitors could rest. So central was welcoming the stranger, welcoming kin, giving homes to those who were visiting. Now, that room, wherever it was, that guest room, if you will, the word for that in Greek gets translated into English in our text as inn, as in there was no place in the inn. You see, an inn wasn't a place where you paid somebody to rent a room, like a motel. It was the guest room in a family home where it was simply expected that visitors were welcome. So imagine this, then. Mary and Joseph have made a a long cross-country journey. They're a little late to the party. If you've ever seen a nine-month pregnant woman try to move quickly, it doesn't work all that well. And so they're a little late. But the empire is flexing its muscles and telling people where to go. And so this little town of Bethlehem that has a mighty big history is swelling with visitors And so Mary and Joseph show up, and they go to the house of their nearest relative. You know, they looked it up in the, you know, Ancestry.com and figured out they had a third cousin or a 
weird Uncle Eddie that had a house in Bethlehem that maybe they could find a place to sleep. And so they, they show up. And it is perfectly conceivable that when they showed up at weird Uncle Eddie's house, the guest room was already full. That they had already welcomed other kin and maybe other strangers. And that there was no room in that space carved out specifically for visitors. But anyone who knows anything about first century Palestinian culture will tell you that it is absolutely inconceivable, impossible to imagine, that they would have turned them away. Especially if they were kin, family, especially a nine-month pregnant woman. There's no way they would have turned them out into the streets to wander looking for other lodgings. Somehow they would find a way for them to stay. Now, when it became clear that Mary was about to give birth, clearly the guest room wasn't a workable option, right? Giving birth in a packed house of of really smelly travelers is going to be a little bit awkward. But somehow we'll find a way. And so they carved out some space in the family room, the common room, you know, downstairs, where meals were shared, where stories were told, where the animals slept. It was a little less busy at night. It was the center of activity all day long, but at nighttime it was a little more calm, a little, I mean, it was still noisy. But there was some food there, and there were animals, which of course sounds very unsanitary, but birth in general was pretty unsanitary 2,000 years ago. But you know what? The animals provided warmth. They heated the house. And babies, newborns, get cold real quick. It was the best possible solution in a less than ideal circumstance. And so the time came for Mary to give birth to her firstborn child, and she wrapped him in bands of cloth and she laid him in that little that little hole in the ground. If anybody is homeless this night, it's the poor goat that got kicked out of its little beanbag. But that's where the baby stayed. That's one way of understanding this story. Now, I understand that that may seem like some fairly insignificant differences or details. The stuff that only geeky Bible nerds care about. But I invite you to ponder how it might change how we hear this story. Because if Jesus is born in a barn, out back, maybe even outside of city limits, then Jesus is this thing we go to visit. You know, the shepherds come and go, the kings come and go. It's out there. It's a nativity set that you can unpack sometime in late October or November, put up on your mantle, and then pack away in January. Maybe take it out and play with it once in a while through the year. But it's not really a part of your life. But the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of what God is doing in this child, is that God is longing to literally be in the center of it all. Right in the middle of your family room. In the middle of your family. In the middle of your life. In the middle of every aspect of who you are. Sleeping there on the floor such that you got to watch your step lest you trip over God's own presence in the world. Step 
on the presence of Christ. He's right there. Longing to be a part of every single part of who we are as people. There in the family room where meals are shared. Where strangers and friends gather and become family as they exchange a sign of peace. Where newcomers are welcomed and washed and made a part of the family. Where stories are told. Where people argue and people fall in love and people laugh and people weep together. Right in the middle of the stuff of life. That's what Christmas is about. Not something out back, somewhere over there, but right here in the middle of it all. We have been privileged in my household to welcome two newborn babies during the course of our marriage. If you have any experience of having a newborn in a home, then you know that it is virtually impossible to forget that that child is there, even if you might really want to for some time, right? Most folks have the baby in the room, at least for a little while, right? So even if you get like 90 minutes or a couple of hours of sleep, it's restless sleep because they are noisy. They make all these weird, weird noises, and you don't know what they are. Like, was that a burp or something else, or... Did I miss the first giggle? Right? They cry. They wake you up. They demand your attention. They want something from you, but they can't tell you what, and you have to guess. Your your kitchen uh, cabinets and countertops are just covered with bottle parts and all this other stuff you've never seen before, and you're doing laundry all the time. You simply cannot ignore the fact that this baby is a part of your life. They are constantly calling for your attention, begging for you to notice. And I wonder if that might be how we understand what Jesus is up to, what Christmas is about, is that what God is doing in this Christmas story is demanding your attention, entering right into the middle of your life, such that you can't ignore God's presence. That Christ is there whether you're ready for it or not, and goes with you absolutely everywhere you go. That Jesus is up in all your business, and goes with you when you go to the office, and and calls out, cries, and begs for you to be an ethical business person, or to care about that guy in the next cubicle that's just really having a rough go of it. Jesus goes with us to the schools where kids are being bullied and little girls are struggling to be brave. Jesus goes with us into the streets where we are confronted by people who are different from us, who are hungry or who are needy and, or, or who, are, who are Republicans or Democrats and, and, and yet somehow begging for us to pay attention and to love one another and to build relationship with each other to forgive each other. Jesus is calling out, begging not to be ignored as we 
are called to build a, a more peaceable and more just future for every child of earth, not just our own. That's the gift of Christmas. You know, around this time of the year, there's often this weird cultural conversation about keeping Christ in Christmas. I don't know if you've heard about this. I understand where that comes from. I get some of the, uh, you know, sentiment behind that. I also find it really kind of ironic. Because in that sentiment is assumed that Jesus Christ is this person that we get to decide whether he shows up or not, right? We get to either keep him here or leave him out. Folks, he's here. Christ is up in all of this, in the middle of it all, not out there, but right in the heart and the thick of every single thing we do. And so we gather here in this family room on this quiet and holy night, and we share a meal among friends and strangers. And in this meal, Christ is present, really fully present, offering all that he is as a gift of love to go with you when you leave this place. And so come and eat and then go. But as you go, watch your step. Because you're liable to trip over Jesus everywhere you go. And when you do, it might just change your life. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.